going to start a new teaching series today that is called The Stories He Told. As uh, I've mentioned to you several times, we want to, to really focus in on Jesus and a variety of ways to meet him again for the first time. So for the last few months, we attempted to do that by going to one gospel record, the record of John, and hearing John recall every time Jesus said, I am something, I am the good shepherd, I am. And uh, we noticed that it appeared that John was wanting to, to position all of those things against the background of an overbearing religious system. Thousands of rules, thousands of thought police and religion police all around Jerusalem. And against that, Jesus just took plain, ordinary things that you would see in life and described himself in those terms. And it appeared that that was what John was trying to say to us, that Jesus was, was not setting aside anything that was proper in terms of the Jewish law, but he was saying what was really important. Um, and how he would really relate to us on a, on a day-to-day basis as we follow him. So we're going to do a similar thing in the Gospel of Luke, because Luke records more of the parables of Jesus than anybody else. And he in particular records several parables that nobody else remembers to tell us. And so just as we did with John wondering why he selected those I am statements, we're going to ask ourselves, what is it that Luke is wanting to tell us about Jesus by telling us the stories that Jesus told? And so today we're going to start with the first story that we come across in Luke's gospel. And uh, the best way, I think, for me to introduce it to you is just to show you this little video that talks about why it was that Jesus said what he did in this parable. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins are forgiven, for she loved much. I have lived in Maine all my life, and all my life, it seems, has been full of heartache and disappointment. I know that the choices I've made have caused me much harm, and in turn, have caused much pain for those around me. I didn't start out that way. I mean, whoever starts with one sip of wine only to become an alcoholic. Whoever plans to give herself to one man only to be had by many. My life had spun out of control and I could find no path of escape. Until one day a friend of mine asked me to go hear Jesus speak on the hillside. She said, He is one who teaches about love and the forgiveness of sins. Who would know about such things? But knowing that the flame in my heart had been out for so long, and knowing that I had nothing left to lose, I decided to go. Something lit up in me as I heard Jesus speak. His words were different. They were full of life and not empty promises. He spoke about 
the unconditional love that comes from God. A love that didn't have to be earned. A love that's full of mercy and grace. A love that doesn't judge or condemn, but brings forgiveness and freedom. And that's precisely why I went to the Pharisee's house that day. I knew Jesus was there, and I just couldn't let him leave without thanking him. As I stood behind Jesus, I heard the Pharisee's familiar whisper, what's a sinner like her doing in a place like this? Only this time, I didn't listen to them. I was so moved by Jesus' presence that the tears began to fall. It's as if my heart was pouring out all my wrong choices, all my bad decisions, all my shame and rejection. My soul stood bare before Jesus and I knew I was understood. I was so overcome with love for him that I knelt down and with my tears and my hair, I began to wipe his feet. I thought now would be the perfect time to give him my gift. And so I took out my jar of perfume and I poured the fragrant oil out onto his feet. Jesus turned to the Pharisees and said, I tell you this day, her many sins have been forgiven for she has loved much. And then Jesus turned to me and told me four words that I will never forget. Your sins are forgiven. Everyone in the house began asking, who is this one who even forgives sin? And then Jesus turned to me and said, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I know who this one is who forgives sin. You see, I met him and he met me. It was there at his feet that I found forgiveness. I found my reason and that there's reason for me. No matter the cost, I will choose to follow Jesus and worship him with all that I have, for he has saved me. He set me free.
he rebuilt me. Now I will build for him. So here's the setting. Um, this, the drama that we just heard was about uh, Jesus being at a Pharisee's house. The Pharisee's name was Simon. And uh, while Jesus was there for dinner, the, the woman comes and she comes behind Jesus and she falls at his feet. And um, what, what the uh, drama just portrayed for us was what happened. So in the middle of it all, um, we're told that the Pharisee thought, if Jesus were the prophet that I thought he was, he would know that this woman is a sinner. And so it says that Jesus knew her thoughts, and what he did was tell him the story. Then Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one, 50 pieces to the other, but neither of them could repay him. So he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. First story that uh, Luke reminds us that Jesus told was this one, a very simple story about a moneylender and the fact that uh, there are two people who are in debt, who owe back what they have borrowed, and the moneylender kindly forgives them both. But one of them owed a significantly greater loan back to the moneylender. And Jesus says... In that situation, who do you think would love the moneylender most? The Pharisee said, well, that's easy, the one that was forgiven the most. And then Jesus goes on after that, and he said, well, this woman, by the way, he said, Simon, when I arrived at your house, there were lots of things that are the right things for a host to do that you didn't do, but she did this. And then he speaks to the woman and he says, you're forgiven and everybody is, there's just a buzz of conversation around about who he is, uh, being able to forgive sinners like that. The first story Jesus told is a story about forgiveness. And I want to talk about forgiveness today. And I hope that uh, each of us could find something happening in our hearts that would cause us to be more like the one who was forgiven the greater debt than the one who's forgiven not so much. And remember what's going on in the background. Remember the Pharisees' notions of righteousness. And we'll hear other stories like, you know, a Pharisee and a tax collector who go to pray, and the Pharisee stands in the temple and looks up to the heavens and says, I thank God I'm not like other people, like him, for example. And Jesus, in that situation, says, who do you think went home forgiven? The one who said, I'm not like anybody else. I am just better than this guy. Whereas the tax collector was hardly able to even look up to the skies. And he said, Lord, be merciful to me. I'm a sinner. Right? So the Pharisees had their own brand of righteousness. The Pharisees did not need to be forgiven. I mean, they might have technicalities that they could be challenged on. But for the most part, they were exacting in their studies so they knew what was required. They knew the thousands of laws and nuances that they should teach others and they should observe themselves. And they had no time for people like this harlot who was well known in town for her trade. And when she comes along, they think, who let her in here to start with? And then she acts in such a way that embarrasses them all. 
And Jesus has to speak to Simon, the Pharisee whose house he was in, and says, you watch what you're doing here. She's the one who understands forgiveness, not, not you. Now, I, I want to go back to a talk I gave before about forgiveness because this is really part two. And you might remember that we talked about um, things that forgiveness is not um, as we were wanting to understand things that forgiveness is. And when we looked at the Lord's Prayer and said, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us, we, we noted that that can often be the hardest part of the prayer to pray because can we really always forgive those who sin against us. And so to sort of clear the way, I suggested there are four things that we need to observe about forgiveness. And today I want to hitchhike on that and say what we should be learning from this first story that Jesus told. So we said, first of all, that forgiveness is not dismissing the offense. Forgiveness is not saying it didn't happen. Because there are many of us in whose lives there have been fairly serious offenses. Right? There are lots of families in which there are things happen that are serious offenses. There are lots of relationships. When people grieve one another, when they sin against one another. And so when I read the Lord's Prayer, and it seems as though Jesus is saying that I am just to forgive people. And I have lots of people who have talked to me about going to Christian counselors whose solution for their problems has been, you just must forgive him or her. That's it. End of story. And so folks walk out of those counseling offices condemned because they struggle about forgiving people because it seems that they have to pretend as though what happened didn't happen. So we needed to say that forgiveness is not dismissing the offense. It's not saying it didn't happen, nor is forgiveness diminishing the offense's effect. So it's also not saying it didn't really matter. Um, So not it didn't really happen or we're not going to think that it happened. It's also not saying it didn't matter. We're not making it less of an offense in order to forgive. Thirdly, it's not releasing the offender's responsibility. When a person is forgiven, it doesn't mean that that person is scot-free in terms of responsibility for what he or she has done. You know, go ahead and and talk to your local police department about whether if someone forgives someone who has committed a crime, whether that person can then go scot-free without having paid for the crime. And if the person says, yeah, but she forgave me, uh, even though I stole her purse, she forgave me, so I don't have to go to jail, do I? Yes, because you're not absolved of your responsibility even when a person forgives you. And then the most important thing we, we talked about was that forgiveness is releasing the offender to the court of God's grace. And there's where freedom comes for us, where we say, it's not my job to condemn this person or to exact judgment on this person. I will trust God. I will defer to his wisdom, his ways. And then we know that God's ways are lovely ways, which brings us to today's story. But to be able to say, it's not as though this thing never happened. It's not as though this thing didn't matter. It's not as though the person who committed that offense shouldn't have to take responsibility for it. But it's saying, I have to get free from it, and I need to pass it over to someone whose judgment I trust even more than my own, to God, whose court is a court of grace. When a person finds herself or himself in God's court of grace, then we step into the sandals of the adulterous woman of the woman who was known for her sinful ways around town. And it's, um, this is the, 
sort of the category of sin that when we think about sinners, it's sort of the easiest one to flag and say, there you go, there's a sinful person. And we have to be very careful that we don't categorize sins or rank sins or hierarchy sins, but um, this is a woman whose sin is public, whose sin is known, and she is not welcome among the righteous people because she's a sinful woman. And yet Jesus brings her to his court of justice, which is that higher court, in which it is God's grace that is brought to bear, and she experiences forgiveness. So if today you're on the other side of the ledger, and somehow or other you have been the offender, you have sinned against someone, and they have had the work of God's grace in their heart and life to bring them to the point of forgiving you, then enjoying God's forgiveness is one of the most refreshing and delightful experiences that you could possibly have. To know that you are forgiven is a deep, peace-giving commodity that should reign in our, our lives as followers of Jesus. So the situation in which Jesus has to tell this story is a situation in which Simon has not understood that he was delinquent in his responsibilities. So here's what Jesus did. He turned to the woman and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love, but a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. I suspect that we, first of all, don't take sin nearly seriously enough. And so we kind of, we travel along this sort of surfacey, moral, ethical highway um, without understanding that sin is a treacherous, treacherous obstacle and impediment in, in our lives. So we, we need to, to look at sin kind of square on and say, I see you, I know what you are, and we need to look in the mirror and say to ourselves, I see you and I know what you're like. Um, it, it, it would be a terrifying thing, wouldn't it, if, if there was some sort of thing that happened and every one of us disclosed all of the sinful thoughts and sinful behaviors that are in our lives. We, we, we would be... Ashamed is way too small a word to describe it, right? Um, but we do, we're pretty good at pretending that none of that is true. We're pre pretty good at answering the question, how are you, by just saying, I'm fine, right? And yet sin in our world is a destructive force. It is dark, it is evil, it is ugly, it is hurtful, and it is all around us and all around our world. And so we need to become people who face that and say, this is a world that is, that is terribly broken. We are people who live lives that are terribly broken, and the, the diagnosis for our world, the diagnosis for our lives is sin. Sin is everything that is short of what God is and what God is like. Sin is every behavior that is contrary to God's kingdom rule and God's kingdom ways. And all of us, day by day, deal with the sin 
that we're tempted by, the sin that is still traveling around in the programs of our pre-Christian lives, if you like, the sin that is still resident in the flesh of not yet being fully brought into the kingdom of God and fully rid of the presence of, of sin in us and to us. And so the matter of forgiveness becomes critical if we take the matter of sin as seriously as we need to take that, that sin or that, that reality in our lives. Many years ago, there was a, a young man in our church, and he, he came to talk to me, and he, he talked about terrible things that were happening in his life, and he couldn't figure them out. Um, everything was going wrong for him. Um, he, he was struggling with some illnesses as well, and he said, I, I, I somehow need to find the reason for all of these things going wrong for me. And as we talked on a little bit, he, he disclosed to me that he had had an affair with the daughter of one of the elders in the church and was continuing to do so. And he said, you don't think that's it, do you? <laughs> and I, I didn't say duh back then. I would have. But I said, absolutely. He said, well, he said, I, I, didn't, I didn't take that that seriously. Well, it was serious. It was serious against the young woman's current husband. It was serious against her family. It was serious against her. And he was wearing it in his daily life that this kind of sinful behavior was, was causing him to trip and fall and not be able to just move along with his life. So we need to look at sin square in the face and say, I, I know you're there. I know that you're after me. And we need to look at ourselves and say, yes, I do sin. Uh, th there's a theology called sinless perfection, um, which travels in, in some particular you know, spiritual versions. And there's a story told about a, a, a preacher. And he was talking to someone who said that he had attained sinless perfection. That He said, I don't sin anymore. And th it's a reasonable position to get to because if we believe what Jesus has done for us, you might think that theoretically you should be absolutely sin-free. You know, that you could put on your sin-free suit every day and say, because of what Jesus did for me, because of the Holy Spirit, I don't sin. And the New Testament kind of says you should not sin, but then John says if anybody says I don't sin, well, he's a liar. Um, the truth's not living in him. So we live with this tension that says something has been done about our sin, but we're not completely rid of it. And so this person claimed that he was rid of sin. And so the, uh, the preacher took a glass of water and he threw it at the, the guy, sort of threw water in his face, and the guy lost his temper and be began to rage at him. And, and the preacher said, oh, I see your sin nature didn't actually die. It was just asleep. And I was able to wake it up with a glass of water because sin does still exist in us, among us. And uh, we need to say that that's, that's so. But then we need to deal with forgiveness and say, Jesus has come to grant us the forgiveness of our sins so that we are not held accountable for our sins because Jesus on the cross said, Father, forgive them. Speaking about those who were around him in particular, he said they don't know what they're doing. But he also spoke about the whole world, and he was on the cross paying for our sins so that we could be forgiven. To be forgiven and to know that you're forgiven is one of the greatest, if not the greatest, gift of your salvation. 
to know that you will not be judged for anything you have done or anything that you will do. To treat sin as the horrendous thing that it is and avoid it at all costs, but to acknowledge that it does exist in us and among us and realize that forgiveness is ready at hand because of what Jesus has done. So if I'm someone who has been sinned against, my recourse is to say, all right, it is a serious thing that has happened, but I'm not going to keep it in a way that's going to hurt me and my relationships. I will refer it along to God's court of grace. Trust him with it. If I am the one who has done the sinning or the offending, I need to take responsibility for what I've done, but then also find myself in God's court of grace and understand that he, he will actually say to me, you are forgiven. You need to take responsibility for what you've done. You need to confess it. You need to repent and change. But forgiveness is absolutely yours because Jesus paid on the cross for everything that you've ever thought or done or ever will think or do. It would be an offense to the cross of Christ if God reserves judgment on any of the sinful behaviors or thoughts of our lives. It would be to say that the death of Christ was not enough if God says, yeah, well, most of your sins were paid for, but not that one. All of it, completely gone because of what the cross has done. And this woman said, I have somehow or other got to find my way into that Pharisee's house. I have to say thank you to Jesus. And there she is. The Pharisee does not know forgiveness. doesn't know that he needs forgiveness. He's just a judger. But this woman is broken, and she comes, and she says, I am free now from all of the things that I've done because Jesus has met me, and I've met him. Have you met Jesus? That's, that's kind of the fundamental question, isn't it? Because if you realize that sin is the problem, you know, you can try to figure it out every other way, and then come back to square one and say, you know what, maybe it is sin. Maybe I'm just a sinner. Maybe that's why this goes wrong in my life. Then we meet Jesus and he says, yes, that is the problem, but I've dealt with that problem, and I will give you forgiveness. Great place to come to, great place to live, and we ought to end up like this dear woman who goes out of that Pharisee's house rejoicing because she's met Jesus and he has known her and she has worshipped him and says, the rest of my life is to serve and please him. Father, we thank you for the, the concept of forgiveness, for the reality of forgiveness. Thank you that you have taught us about it. And you, the one who is the ultimate judge, the ultimate arbiter of right and wrong, good and bad, have declared the terms that your son has been the broker of forgiveness that sin has been conquered by him on the cross. So, Father, may we be people of realism, knowing that it still travels among us, but may we be people of great joy and peace as we claim uh, the forgiveness, as we practice it with one another, and as we receive it from you. In Jesus' name we pray.